0: Science, you're on here. What do you feel when you hear a record like Tupac's new one?
1: I love Tupac's new record.
0: Right, but don't you feel like that creates uh, tension between East and West? He's talking about killing people. I had sex with your wife, and not in those words. But he's talking I love, about I want to yeah, see yeah. you deceased. No, to live and die in LA. God, what you say about Los Angeles? It's the only place for me. that never rains in yeah. sun To live and die in LA, where every day we try to fatten our pockets. Us niggas hustle for the cash, so it's hard to knock. Everybody got their own thing, coming, so chasing worldwide through the hard times. Worrying faces, shed tears as we bury niggas close to home. Or was a friend that a ghost in the dark?
2: Coming to you from Silver Lake, Los Angeles, California, LARB headquarters, by the way, this is the Los Angeles Review of Books podcast. I'm Colin Marshall, today speaking with not one, but two writers who have collaborated on a book about, I would say two still, though in death, the best known rappers to have ever lived. It's Tupac vs. Biggie, an illustrated history of rap's greatest battle. My guests are Jeff Weiss and Evan McGarvey. Tupac and Biggie—they're—they're they're rappers who, I mean, even people who are completely ignorant of rap, they know their names. Uh, they both became—they both blew up in the '90s. They both were murdered in the '90s. What else unites Tupac and Biggie? You wrote about Tupac, Jeff. I'll start with you. Well, first of all, I mean, not—not not to get all Southern California and astrological,
3: but they are both Gemini's, and they sure. both—they both, you know, I, the funny thing about Gemini's, I think, is like most people with their signs. Kind of like, you know, outside of, you know, your typical Topeka Canyon kind of (laughs) crystals and sunshine kind of person. They tend to not be like, but Gemini is when you talk to them, they'll be very staunch about that. And so I think that one of the things about them that unites them is they both have kind of these like polarity. You know what I mean? They're very extreme kind of personalities. And I think those kind of personalities, there's two ways that you can go. You can either be best friends or worst enemies. What was interesting about Tupac and Biggie was that they were both.
4: Yeah, I think the idea that you have two very... Different artistic voices that developed, they developed in dialogue, well, not in dialogue. They have nice harmonics when you lay them on top of each other. You know, both Tupac and Biggie, for instance, were far more middle class than a lot of contemporary hip hop listeners might be aware of. Mm-hmm. And both were afforded opportunities in education um, and really lived different narratives. And I think sometimes um, the received one right now acknowledges um, they were both incredible craftsmen. Uh, at a time when their art, their practice really became commercial and those can have incredible forces both on people and on, you know, the act of creating something. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think on the most basic level, the fact that their lives and deaths line up and, um, the fact that their deaths and their murders were, um, cultural events within a few months of each other, mm-hmm. um, I think those are all reasons why they're not, each is not just compelling, but they're really inseparable. Hmm.
2: Now, looking at all, at all the representations of Tupac and Biggie in this book, I mean, because you've included so many works of art that are about one or the other, or especially both of them that depict them, they're on the cover. I know these two rappers died in their mid-20s. I know they never reached my age. Mm-hmm but in some sense i look at them and they feel they seem like more aged men than i will ever be you know you know what i mean by that yeah yeah, I agree. yeah. yeah. well it was interesting
3: because i was reading uh we're having a discussion tomorrow with a uh, layla pint layla steinberg who was tupac's mentor and she was talking about the first time she met him and she's she was 25 years old and she was a mother of two mm. tupac was 17 years old and he, she met him in like a 21 and over club and she always thought that he was the older one mm. and if you listen to their both their music there's this like strong sense of nostalgia to it from a very early age you know and like that's not not uncommon there's kids like chance the rapper kendrick lamar they're both young guys a mod i always think of back in the day being nostalgic but it's an interesting personality type especially when you're dealing with a with a hip like a medium like hip-hop which is in- inherently kind of progressive forward even though you have the samples that are always kind of looking backwards mm. so i think both of them really definitely touched upon that and and they 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 might have come from middle class, you know, childhood, which I think, you know, when you're middle class, often you could, you have the, uh, you can afford to kind of have the time and leisure to kind of reinvent yourself. Mm. But I also think that they, um, they really had been through, a, you know, a struggle, whether it was, you know, Biggie in New York, you know, the immigrant struggle, you know, was dealing crack for however long he did it with Tupac. It was kind of this root, rootlessness being moved around from New York to Baltimore, to the Bay, mm. you know, to Southern California. And you know, I think like every every artist has to find their own struggle, and I think those two really kind of honed in on it and kind of brought it to larger than life.
2: You mentioned, you mentioned Tupac's journey across the country to get where he got, which was here, Los Angeles. And this is a book not just about rappers, but about two cities, about New York and Los Angeles. It seems like, you know, at first you can say, Tupac, well, he wasn't really of Los Angeles because he went all around. But then that, that makes him more of here, doesn't it? Because he had to go, because he had to take that journey where he gets uprooted a lot that makes him more of los angeles doesn't it
3: yeah i mean like you know you go to any bar in los angeles or a sports bar i should say and like you know you'll find a different team being rooted for and i think like la is it's i mean i'm like third generation but it's you know you meet somebody and they're like really you're from LA and it's not like, and I'm like, well, my parents are from, and then you're like, your grandparents are from LA. And then it's sort of like, you you don't get that much of that. in a city like Los Angeles. I always think of it like a, a lot of people kind of treat it like an ATM and sort of like, get your money, get out as fast as you can. Don't linger.
2: Right. Well, they do that with New York too, don't they? I mean, there's a certain sense, which Biggie knew that people did the ATM thing with his hometown. Right.
4: Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that the city's, uh, galvanized, obviously, as it would anyone, um, especially artists. And I'll say that, especially artists um, living in cities as different as New York and Los Angeles. Mm. Um, I think that what's important to think about New York and the ATM is that essentially it's a machine. right? This Mm. is what architects have argued about New York. This is what um, sort of finance capitalists exercise every day, Mm. uh, that New York is is constantly churning and turning over a machine, and I think as much as Los Angeles' rootlessness was, you know, key to an aesthetic of Tupac and something Tupac recognized in himself, I think this idea of kind of like machine-worked exchanges mm. where really, really messy parts of the self and the body can kind of get caught up in the gears, um, that I think is really what I saw and I think what's in the book about the, the interaction between um, New York and Biggie.
3: You know, New York's an older city. LA kind of is is a much younger city, and it's kind of still being mm-hmm. born in its own way. I mean, in the last ten years, it's kind of. I mean, New York, you could argue right. that too. With, but you know, I think I think every kind of major American city at this point is sort of you know gentrifying. It, 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 it's interesting that I mean, I'm sorry, to out, but Biggie's. I was going to say Biggie's brownstone
1: is you know,
4: know for, for that, sale for like that New York Magazine store. I don't know if you saw this, <laughs> you know this this idea that for a luxury apartment that Biggie Biggie wrapped from an avatar of 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 Things he knew about, like dealing crack cocaine. Coogee sweaters. and Coogee sweaters. And <laughs> just as important, right? And and now, you know, things have changed so much that this place he grew up in, which was, you know, working class, working class middle, lower middle, hmm. is now going for a princely sum on the New York real estate market. Yeah,
3: well, that's, I think, just an interesting measure of how close it was to being middle or upper middle right. class at the time, because, you know, it's like no one's living in the projects right. in Marin. You know, or like in Baltimore still. I mean, no matter what Beach House and Dan can try to tell you, I don't think Baltimore is going to be a uh, kind of hipster mecca. I mean, even though it, it sort of is in some it, small way, but it's not like New York yeah. or LA or, you know. You, you,
4: it's your first question. This is Evan. You know, it's your first question. I think what you talked about their intertwinement and their overlaps. What's interesting is they're both so deep that you can spiral off into these directions of geography of spirituality of economics of identity of language like they're both so rich Mm, Um, that's in a way why they're so inseparable i mean they Mm. can you know i think a common interesting thought in literature is you know contemporary artists have to manage data and make choices because there's so much data in the Mm. world and i think both tupac and biggie are like absorb data and arrange it perfectly like tupac understood Tupac you know, used rhetoric and Biggie used genre structures. They're so incredible for their time and just perfected. And I think that that's what's interesting about the conversation we're having right now. So we could talk about cities, we could talk about many things, mm-hmm. but really the, both the artists are so rich, you can have this about a lot
3: of different sort of elements. I mean, to kind of add to that, you know, I feel like when I first, start, you know, before even we we started working on the book, I'd always kind of had the notion that you were either a Biggie person or a Tupac person. Mm-hmm. and It was sort of how like you're a Rolling Stones or Beatles person. Right. Like I like I always liked both Biggie and Tupac. You thought you, thought you had to pick. Y- yeah, well, well, definitely in the '90s, yeah. you had to pick when they when some, they were alive. Oh yeah, yeah. At some point, you had to, and I think I, you could make the, the last case was was Nas and Jay Z was probably where you actually had to pick.
4: Yeah, but even that, even that has the shadows
3: of the Tupac
4: of this, Biggie rivalry. Completely, yeah, totally
3: the shadows yeah. of that. I mean, also. Not to kind of kind of go in digression, but What's amazing about this is there were there was never we know the title of the book you know and I, I kind of honestly like I probably shouldn't say this but I, you know I regret the fact that it's it's rap's greatest battle because I mm. think like the time has come where like these two should they definitely will always be side by side but it's time to, cause you know they would have they would have squashed their beef like sometime after nine 11 or something you know like like it's like some ugly moment you know it's it's right. like some weird awkward right. you know but it would I mean it definitely it would probably would happen way before then I'm sure it mm. but I, I think like you know you are the, are the one of those kind of people and with with. With Tupac, you know, it, it, it tends to be like the more of the people that kind of identify with the gangster side, you know, Scarface mm-hmm. is their favorite movie, you know, even though Biggie, big, they're more of a king of New York. <laughs>
4: it, t- well, t- it's interesting. I mean,
3: <laughs> Tupac's,
4: well, it is. It's like the king of New York thing because Tupac's influence, I think culturally, I think everyone would argue, has just, especially internationally, kind of outstripped Biggies, right? They're, they're, murals of Tupac are in many countries and, yeah, and you cities.
2: include a lot of these murals yeah
4: we do yeah. I, I think it's one of the great things is to show how visual their whole relationship yeah. was right.
3: I mean, in sub-saharan yeah. africa you go to any swap meet and you, you'll find yes. a tupac mural
4: was, I, mean, I was i was working i was living and working in samoa for six months yeah, and, so I, included, and i, I, and I, and I saw, about and I saw kids about i saw kids samoan kids who had most likely never been off island mm. wearing tupac memorial t-shirts and and listening to you know whether it was keep your head up or ambitions as a writer. like he—he he is a—he's, and that's and that's an asymmetry that makes their relationship interesting.
3: Right, you, you could make the case that you know from birth he was sort of you know his name was Tupac Amaru, he <laughs> name was named after an Incan emperor. You yeah. could say that he was like from birth stamped to be like that. Whereas Biggie, you know, his mom was Jamaican, but he didn't have a traditional you know mm-hmm. he didn't his name is Christopher. I mean, it could yeah. be it could be from anywhere. And hmm. you know he that's sort so. of and Biggie really you know he never was. He never necessarily, he didn't deny it. I mean, there are songs like Super Cats, telling Me Baby that we're playing early, where he does like a Jamaican kind of song, but it wasn't like it was a very, you don't think a big e right, was right. Jamaican. Right, right. No, no,
4: you guys. don't. And that's, that's interesting. Even um, Busta,
3: I would say, who is Jamaican as well, you think of more like that. It, it, you know, I
4: think that's, that's a really interesting point because, um, one of the things that I think we have, you know, different charts and lists in the book, and I think this is, f- I actually like, I really like doing the sidebars and lists and sort of, we'll call it interstitial because I think it's interesting, but you were talking about the photos and also the way the book is lined up. So, you know, we have things like, you know, lists of influences because whether it's lists of influences or whether, you know, I think it's really funny when you have, you know, Tupac's best guest verses and you write about them epigrat- epigrammatically and memorably. Um, I think, you know, this book ultimately as a thing is trying to show how, I used the word rich earlier, but I think you use Gemini. There's this doubling. There's just so much you could talk about. You really could, um, and I I think we tried to get as much stuff in the book as possible. Yeah,
3: without being. I mean, because you the thing is, like, I think everybody's heard the story. Right. And I don't think anybody. You know, and it's like without getting into like we didn't want to like sit there and be like all right, let's we're not we're not Nick Broomfield. We're not going to solve the case of. <laughs> no. A it's a wise cracking off the you the case we're, yeah exactly and, and you then, made more money though and
4: this idea that that is i mean that that obviously is part of the story but this idea that they're they murders i don't know i've often felt that there are a lot of there have been there have been other excellent books written about two oh yeah randall sullivan's G.
3: book was actually very good uh coker's
4: book with yeah, biggie is aberrant- like
3: the definitive excellent yeah yeah the, i mean yeah and there were there were i, thought, I mean two interviews right. and vibe was, gr- was great because he just was such an all time great interview. It, it, essential reads of the Tupac text. Yeah, I'll, I'll use that, and you have to. Yeah, uh, no, they're great. Which and, is uh, interesting because you don't you don't think of a Biggie interview. I mean, there's a, I mean Biggie was a great interview, no doubt. But he was, yeah, no, I know what you, I know what you mean. Sorry, I keep sitting back. Um, I, I think it, I think it cuts to the fact that like Tupac was always looking for a way to communicate with as many people mm-hmm. as possible. Tupac also was very receptive to the press and that like, got him in a lot of trouble because when he was in New York, he kind of buddied up to AJ Benza, the gossip columnist. Oh, sure. Now no, I forgot
2: about him. Yeah, uh, <laughs>
3: it was like him mickey rooney madonna and like which is just such an amazing like new york in the 90s like you almost imagine like howard stern outside selling snapple (laughs) and like yeah no and he kind of you know said some things to aj benzik on the press and you know a lot of people did think that that had something to do with the fact that there was that first shooting in new york
2: Did, did tupac jeff uh let his let his fans let his followers did he craft a persona did tupac shakur craft tupac in, in such a way that it was a bit of a Rorschach blot. His fans saw what they wanted to see. Yeah, I
3: definitely think so. Mm. I think they
2: you can see, that, and that's what's so
3: interesting about him. I think Biggie, we even from his presence, it's such a rooted, hulking presence. Tupac is like, like lithe. You know, he's like he's small. He's you know he's quick, and you, you can see whatever you want in him because people, you know, he has so many different types of songs. Mm. You know, like, like, well, I mean, take, you know, to live and die in L.A. That's like yeah. if you if you were like, actually, his first name was MC New York. Like people, most people don't know that. And they're like, what? You know, and yeah. And that was when he was in Baltimore.
2: <laughs> so yeah, talk about a confused identity or a, or a malleable identity. It's not not confused. It sounds, it sounds pretty. Yeah. Cal- like the opposite of confused. You yeah. know
3: what I mean? It's like you got to be he, he was Robert Zimmerman at one right. point, And then he, you know, I always think of Jim Morrison, too because Jim Morrison whereas Jim Morrison kind of lied about his you know Tupac definitely I mean you can't get a better like more interesting backstory you know his mom you know when he was in utero he was in his mom was in the tombs and she was gonna get (laughs) she was gonna blow up all these like national landmarks and she's carrying this baby to term and uh, it just it's so dramatic and everything about Tupac you know was so dramatic I mean he was like best friends with Jada Pinkett in high school. <laughs> and I always say that he's sort of like, he, he sort of would have just become kind of evil Will Smith. Evil
2: Will Smith, yeah. I yeah. Don't like that counter. But he he could have <laughs> had... No. He...
3: <laughs> I mean, like, I, I, you know, I wrote a book about two I book. Obviously, I like that. him. But it, he kind of does have a little bit of, like, a kind of, not, and when I say evil, I kind of air quoted.
2: You do speculate that had he lived, the best case scenario is the opposite of Will Smith, but on the other side of the fence. Yeah,
3: not being, uh, yeah, exactly. I think he would have probably, I mean, he was very community-oriented, and I think mm. that's the thing about Tupac. As you get older, I think, if you were like that when you were that young, you probably were only, and, like, you know, a lot of people, there's another, like, when in the course of my research, there were things that kind of I glossed over, like, when Tupac was involved with trying to get a peace treaty for the, uh, the Bloods and Crips in L.A., mm. which is insane because he wasn't even living in la at the time he was living in oakland at the time he you know he had just done juice which was not a west coast <laughs> movie either it wasn't like he done you know boys in the hood it, but it was that's how much people resonated and it's still like you know in the course of like my travels you know whether like when i was in louisiana you know i would ask people uh, you know who who is was the rapper that resonated the most from you know outside the south and it was just always Tupac. I mean, mm. little Boozy had like a Tupac poster mm. when he would record. You have a guy like Freddie Gibbs who lives in Gary, Indiana. That's, you know, his favorite rapper of all time. And mm. it's, what's funny about Tupac is like, I feel like Biggie fans, like, if you're like, yeah, mm. like, no one's gonna, no, no one, everyone gives it up. But like, Tupac, like, everyone says Biggie's good. No one ever says, but Tupac people will like vehem- vehemently be like, You know, we hate or conversely, like I was I was (laughs) right before last night we came over, you know, we're we're doing this like, you know, talking about the book and everything. So I posted a flyer for the the book reading that we're doing (laughs) and no comments. And then uh, then all of a sudden someone goes, Biggie's all right. But Tupac peeped a weakness in the rap game and so did it. Game over. <laughs> People are still talking shit on Instagram. Oh my god. You know, f- 16 years it's later. Like, could
2: we have explained Instagram to Tupac or Biggie? I don't know if we could. Like, that's. Oh my it's god. a different world.
3: Tupac's Instagram would have had like 13 million followers. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I think Here's me shirtless. I've, I think with Fat Joe. I,
4: I think, I think, I think Biggie's Instagram would have been very well, well cultivated, mm-hmm. well shot,
3: melancholy, A little L- bit, L- little lugubrious. No, but I'm,
4: I'm serious. I, I think, I think it would. I think it, it would be very detail oriented. I think if we're if we're gonna have this uh, hypothetical, uh, yeah. it would be detail oriented and like still life.
3: Mm. Um, Tupac definitely would have fucked with some MySpace. <laughs> I, think, I don't think Facebook yeah. would have really been. His his jam. Um, yeah, his that Instagram that though. Can, can you ma- It would be like, yeah, I mean, it would be, they'd be very, they would be, they would be very different. Tyler the Creator has diehard fans.
4: <laughs> <laughs> but even you know, I think, I think the the idea now that this is a new way that hip hop artists communicate with us mm. through social, like through everything social media, right? It's, those are the air quotes. is are the futurist air quotes. Mm. Um, but but now it's it's different. Now now the way that we receive information and output um from every music genre, but I think hip hop has been just a rap. Rap has been an incredible ch- I not, it's been a chain been an incredible yeah, change. I mean, in- and I
3: should add that part of the reason why we're still talking about them is that they didn't have a Twitter and Instagram right. to oh, ruin yeah. the mystique because like and like props to Kendrick Lamar for like not being that guy right. that like is all up on Twitter and because there is a certain thing that you know you don't necessarily need to know everything and it really would have marked Tupac because there's no way that he could not have used that like to communicate I mean I'm yeah. sure somebody like Tupac would have loved that because it's like I don't have to deal with reporters anymore I don't have to deal with my words being twisted I can just go straight to the people and it's like you kind of see what Kanye West kind of does that too whenever he wants to say something It's in a very targeted way.
2: Mm -hmm. Evan, uh, there's a, there's a, I'll, I'll pitch this question to, to those, for those listeners who don't know much at all about rap, Mm -hmm. but, and this is, I guess, let's, let's try to drain our, all of our opinions out of this response. So I'll try to drain them out of the question, but for people who only really have heard of Tupac and Biggie, I mean, Biggie seems to be, the consensus seems to be Biggie as a rapper technically was more skilled. Tupac, as a public figure, was more skilled. Hmm. I'll I'll throw this to you first, Evan. Do you think that's, as the writer about Biggie, do you think that's accurate?
4: I think that that is a constellation in which you can put them. Mm. And I think it holds up. Mm. I think there's always a question in any craft about, okay, what's good technique? But I think that um, Biggie is impeccable. You know, the way he strings words together I I mean, I, I could read it anyway You could read them, you could hear it some mean, you have to hear them rap uh,
1: It was all a dream I used to read Word Up magazine Salt and pepper and heavy D up in the limousine Hanging pictures on my wall Every Saturday, rap attack Mr. Magic Molly Mall I let my tape rock to my tape pop Smoking weed and bamboo Sipping on private stock Way back when I had the red and black lumberjack With the hat to match Remember rapping Duke the hard the hard, you never thought that hip hop would take it this far. Now I'm in the limelight, cause I ride tight. Time to get paid, blow up like the world trade. Born sinner, the opposite of a winner. Remember when I used to eat sardines for dinner. Piece to Raw Brucey B, kick it three. master flex, love bug star ski. I'm blowing up like you thought I would. Call the crib, same number, same hood. It's all good. Uh. And if you don't know, now you know. Nigga. Uh.
4: Let's get technical. The vowel chains, the recurring images, the genre inflection. I mean, he does stuff with double narrative, um, you know, the same story, same plot being told in very different forms. Um, It's, you know, delightful. I mean, it is. I'm going to use a word. It sounds, but he's just incredible to listen to. I mean and he has inflections in tone and voice and he can do, he can balance multiple figures in a narrative, multiple voices. But, and I think he, yeah, I think he's the best technically, but I think what's interesting is that that's a different argument. And I think that's a more complex one than the public, public figure one, which is like, yeah, Tupac is just far more widespread, maybe more intensely loved. And I, I think that might had to have to do, sorry, have to do with the issue I don't want to say of craft, but there's a technical thing. I mean, it's the whole, we compare them to poets and Biggie would be, you know, more of a Wallace Stevens or a Robert Lowell. Very dense, very
3: thoughtful. Tupac's like a Bukowski. Or Whitman, you know. Yeah, Yeah, or Whitman. And we
4: could do this with directors. We could do this with painters.
3: I mean, we did in the course of the book, you know, because me and Evan are both like huge literature nerds. I mean, Evan has an MFA in poetry Mm. and, um...
2: So basically, you know... And you have a cat named F. Scott Fitzgerald. I do have a cat
3: named F. Scott Fitzgerald, but I should say it's the cat. Uh, Just, uh, he w- and he was not happy with the Great Gatsby adaptation, let me tell you. Him cool. and Boz Lerman. <laughs> there will never be a Boz Lerman, the cat in my household. Uh, but, you know, we we did go back and forth about that. And, like, you know, to, to, go, to use novelists, it's it's sort of like, like a Jack Kerouac versus a uh, Philip Roth or something. Because, you know, you think of, like... That's great. A- at the time, like, especially at the time, because they're both, you know, Philip Roth's moved 10 years mm-hmm. younger, but they're mm-hmm. of... You know, similar generation, and yeah, you know, it's like an interesting question because it's like, well, yeah, like yeah, obviously, like Philip Roth, like report noise complaint, <laughs> like Jack Kerouac doesn't have a port noise complaint, like mm-hmm. no one has a port noise complaint, and it's sort of like that's how I feel about Biggie. It's like Biggie has like you know the the warning, okay. you know what I mean, or just or like you're nobody to like some or even uh, I got a right. story to tell, even like these like dense you know taught narratives, whereas you know Tupac, but Tupac has like an on the road mm-hmm. and. There's something about an on the road, and mm. that makes people at ev- that will and will always, and like it's a big, broad idea that it's like I don't know. It's like if you're selling a Hollywood screenplay, like it, it like right. you, it's the elevator pitch. Jack Kerouac has the elevator pitch, mm. and Biggie doesn't have that. Like I mean, and if you're like a lover of, I mean, if you're a writer, Biggie's like Biggie is a, a, a writer's rapper. There's no question mm. about it. And Tupac is more of like kind of like you know, if you're like a oral kind of poet or like you know what i mean it's that that emotion that rawness that people gravitate towards and that big idea
4: it's interesting it's also tied up in the fact that i think biggie has two albums right many 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 mixtape you know mixtapes but you know many guest spots many demos many freestyles Tupac has a much larger studio catalog a
2: much Mm -hmm. and biggie's is much smaller it's just kind of a joke about Tupac at this point it's they're they're it's They keep coming up. Maybe we've seen the end. I don't. Just quickly. do we? we, we, No, not the not the end, Jeff. But continue.
4: Uh, No, I. I mean, it's. But there you go. There's there's another contrast. I mean, it's their. It's different to think about that because and 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 how their artistic output and sorry lost my train of thought. Um, how 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 do I want to phrase this? It still intrigues me that there are so many things to debate about. But the one thing that doesn't really seem debatable is that Tupac has had a sh- much bigger international response, mm-hmm. cross-cutting response. If I don't the say langu- slogans. The but, is- yeah, is- yeah, and it, and he is- has messages and, and 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 rhetoric. And I said this, is, and I wrote about the Biggie, feeling too.
3: And this is like you you feel like every yeah. syllable, like it feels like they're being pushed out of it. I mean, yeah. both. And that's the other thing we should mention. Both have the, like, the two best voices probably in hip-hop oh, yeah. history. Oh, yeah, and, incredible. you know, it's... As, as Guru said, you know, it's it's mostly the voice. Right. It's right. A real... Uh... I, I,
4: I, I know what I wanted to say, which is that I think that uh, Tupac is so direct and, and, and cathartic about emotions. Emotions and realities about race, masculinity, class, power, violence, sex. And he's so direct. Hmm. And yeah. that is he's translatable, right? Yeah. His, his occasional abstractness is, is, is translatable and he, he appeals to something that, you know, do we call it the common experience? Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, I mean, that's one of the most Whitman-esque things yeah. about
3: him. I, I mean, just look at a song like, Tupac has a song like Dear Mama. Right. But he has a song called Juicy. Like mm-hmm. juicy is like, it, I mean, it is so much more abstract. It's like this, like right. what, what you know. It's like you're never quite sure exactly what right. you know. But like, dear mama, there's no way to misinterpret that. Oh yeah, and Tupac, you know, and you also talk about like you know there there are those there's there's two models for writers. There are the there are the writers that are, you know, they have a few darts that they you know that they, mm-hmm. they hit it perfectly every time, and then you have those writers that you know make a book, write a book every single year, or you know and. Like, I mean, like a Kerouac. I mean, Kerouac's, you know, catalog is just... Can go on and on. Like, truthfully, you probably only really need, like, you know, what on the road. Maybe, like, Big Sur and Dharma bums or... Yeah, I would say, actually, Visions of Cody, the second half of that is really good. But even then, like, that's, like... Like, you know, that's... To me, that's Jack Kerouac's best moment. And, like... (sighs) You know, it's which is kind. Of, you know, and he thought it was his best moment too. And it's the second half of *Visions of Cody*, where he's sort of rewriting on the road, and that's sort of like Tupac too. Everyone's like, "Well, he doesn't have that one classic album." And you're like, with Tupac, it's sort of like you're picking your moments. And like, I think that extends to a lot of things. You know, even to show like, you know, like *Breaking Bad* is like this Shakespearean or you know, versus *Mad Men*, where you're like, kind of like this. It's like those like little moments that mm. it all hinges on. Like, mm. that's interesting. Uh-huh.
2: What do Tupac and Biggie? their lives their the way their careers worked the way people responded them to them what does that tell us about the 90s in hip-hop or otherwise never wear overalls with <laughs> never a good never idea. wear overalls yeah. lesson um, learned yeah never ne-
4: never never wear overalls um but i think yeah no i think there's something that is distinctly energetic and and optimistic But with an under, an undercut of real unease and violence. Um, I mean, this is, you know, the 80s and the 90s, as things have always been going on, you know, America in ascendance, in absolute ascendance with a lot of wars and suffering going on in other parts, in, in other parts of the world. Um, and I think there's this, and I think this sort of post-Reagan boom shine is clearly detectable on both the surface of Tupac and Biggie. Mm. But I think when you get under that, there is a real, real, like, darkness, both in their age of the 90s of, you know, we have the internet now. This is incredible. We have unbelievable access to food. This is un- unsurpassed. More people getting medical care. More people going to university. Yeah, and yet...
3: Get sorghum like that. There are just <laughs>
4: terrible, horrible acts of violence under the surface. Yeah. I um, mean,
3: and, and these, these outbursts politically. I mean, I guess, you know, I think that... With, with like Tupac, you know, I, especially in the early part of his, his, uh, career, he definitely is a product of that. I mean, he's at the center of it. I, like you have, you have like the, the the guy in, T- in Texas that shoots a state trooper and it said it's because he's playing Tupacalypse now. I mean, what a 90s, like, like, what a, like, you know, the record made me do it, you know, yes. like right, the CB4 era, like all this crazy, <laughs> you have that, then you have C. Dolores Tucker is like criticizing him. Mm. You know, you have, Dan Quayle, like speaking out against him. I mean, he emerges as like this flashpoint that's like for like American decay, and I mean, and that's like that's sort of like we're not even worrying about like American moral decay. We're just trying to like get like a stable economy back to have the '90s. I feel like when you when you're in the '90s, like we, there was a, I always joke about it, and I'm like it was a time of limitless peace and prosperity. But it kind of felt like that for a minute, the, the,
2: if you went up in the not, '50s but, part but, but, too. Right. And
3: I should say that. Tupac never forgot that, and h- the part of his message was that he was always trying to remind people that that you know no matter you, even at the end you know he did get how do you want it kind of like more in like limos. But the first half of Tupac's career is really reminding people that like it was not this like you know Clintonian like Valhalla or whatever <laughs> you know.
4: <laughs> it, it, it is you know there's a there's a great Biggie line, and I'm to quote it. I'm to quote it right, so bear with me for a second. But it, it basically it combines in the same line. I'm seeing body after I'm seeing body after body, and Mayor, Mayor Giuliani ain't trying to see no black man turn to John Gotti, yeah. hmm. and the way that those two references are not yeah. just perfectly temporal, but actually, but I shouldn't say they they embody something, you know, both Julie, both former Mayor New uh, York Rudy Giuliani and um, Don and Gotti, and um, where
3: New York was going,
4: right, and where New York was going, but this idea that there they were these figures that were becoming that were rising in the world by being brutal. Mm -hmm. and by kind of breaking codes and even that just like reference he doesn't do a whole song about how he's like Gotti or giuliani he just puts it in two words in a tidy phrase that is so well crafted and ties in with a greater narrative that you kind of catch yourself going back and you find these things that speak so much to the 90s and they're so well placed Mm. um and i think that's i mean a that's, a, that's just a difference in style love, between yeah. biggie and tupac and b this idea that this idea that the 90s have this level of kind of craft and shine success, prosperity over some really bad stuff, yeah.
3: but that, that I may be getting a little far on that point it was the last <laughs> time. I mean, I, I, guess you could argue maybe Kanye West is like the, uh, that figure, but I think the nineties might've been the last time we produced those kind of larger than life personalities like mm-hmm. a, Kirk Kurt Cobain, a, you know, you see it, you know, who's, who's the next Kurt Cobain? Who is the next two, I mean, you could, you could say a bunch of people, a biggie. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's just also like, you know, that last gasp of that, you know, star system that, you know, mm-hmm. whether the big money, major label system. You know, it extends to everything. It was before the kind of culture fractured, so you have these two last dominant figures. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's it.
2: And as I seem to recall, you know, at this time in the mid-90s with specifically Tupac and Biggie getting so huge, people were started to, people starting to talk on a large scale or started to observe that these guys probably wouldn't be able to pay for their limos and whatnot if it were not for all of the middle-class white kids who like to listen to them. We're three white guys sitting here talking about Tupac and Biggie. Does it matter that the audience, that they did seem to get an audience of people who were not like them in huge numbers?
4: I think that's, that that is a fantastic question.
2: I think that is a really,
4: really, I think it's a really smart question. Um, and I think that's absolutely the truth. I think this is also a time when you know CDs are are, are going everywhere. I mean, this is when there were Sam Goody's and Tower records, and you could get reasonably fast access of material on a wide berth, and they were relatively affordable in the '90s economy. Relatively, uh, relatively well, and, affordable. Uh, Sam Goody things. Man, there, there's this 1999. The <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I think that's a great question. I think I think it, it has, and there was things like MTV. Mm-hmm. And more and rap magazines and and something exciting in American culture that brought it into a whole new set of homes that were white and middle class.
2: Mm. Why did why did white kids like them? At the time, I didn't really I hadn't listened to much of either of them. It was sort of so too far away from me to really be able to tap into. I mean, every music seemed kind of alien to me at the time, like the legendary alternative rock of the 90s seemed so angry. I was like, why are you listening to this? You're not that angry, my middle class peers. And <laughs> why, why are you listening to Tupac and Biggie? You're not, you're, you don't come from there. You know, what, what, was the, what was the appeal at the time?
3: You know, I think like, if you, if you think about the 90s, it, it's kind of funny because it, it, culture has changed so much. You know, you think about like in the 90s, I mean, every kid was, like, white kid, black kid, it didn't matter. They would, like, if you, to be cool, you had to have, like, a size 40 pair of jeans yes. and, like, kind of like a hip-hop clothing and people would wear their hats backwards and it was always a real thing, sort of thing for me because I look really stupid in the hat. <laughs> so, like, I knew it and I was like, man, everyone looks so cool. But, like, yeah, you'd wear, you know, you'd wear the hat, you wear the baggy pants, the oversized shirts. And, like, you know, Thug Life, Tupac was screaming Thug Life, everyone kind of, mm. that was an appealing thing to kids, even if they were, you know, not thugs in any way, shape, or form. And now, I mean you have you have like Drake, you know what I mean? It's like totally different. It, it, you know, it's like,
4: it, yeah, I think you're right. I think what's interesting is we we sort of say we say this, and there's you know there's a history of the white middle class having a very special a special, version to black music. Mm. you know, and that is a that that is something that is been asymmetrical in terms of power, you know, but it's happened, you know, whether it was Motown, whether it was jazz. Um, and that's something that I think we absolutely, you know, as you said, three white guys sitting around a table. And as I hope anyone with Tupac and Biggie about the way that, um, you know, black entertainers are presented in America and seen in America uh, and, you know, what we know of their real lives, what we absolutely can talk about with their art. Um, but, yeah, I think, you know, I have to ask that question. You know, what? I'll be the, I'll be, you know. Putting putting on like my seminar hat. Yeah, we have, I mean, or anybody, anyone should have this conversation. Sorry, that's a really pretentious <laughs> thing to say. Edit that out. Edit think, that out. I think it's, it's disgusting. Because, uh, you know,
3: the, the truth is though, like, you know, you can point to anything. You can be like, oh, well, it's, you know, typical white people taking the rebellious. And like, you know, and like, but I think at the end of the day, they were just good. They were really good. <laughs> like, that's why people still care. Yeah, I know. I think
4: that's true. I no mean, one's
3: really like bumping like you know Lords of the underground records anymore.
4: <laughs> the que- I think the question is: is there's right? There's always this uneasy relationship with something being fetishized. No, so I, I think am. that absolutely happens. Things get things get fetishized really easily. Um, I'm, I'm almost, i almost like sound like Debbie Downer. You're just <laughs> ebulent. I'm just like, well, let's have a discussion. It's this true. Great. Let's have a discussion about race and power because I think I think it's a, a key part about it. But I I, um, I do think there there is always fetishization in that way of more of of black of black of black pop culture of black culture by you know commercial white america but i think the question is at this point we know that you know their lyrics aren't some kind of documentary proof Mm. and that seems like a really important distinction They, they contain things that happened in their lives But not all the time and inconsistently, as anyone does in any kind of oral or written art. Mm -hmm. And when you really think about that, then a lot more interesting discussions
2: open up, in my opinion. And that's something that the whole of America seems to have been very slow to realize about rap, is that I guess we've long listened to rock music and taken it literally. Like, the lyrics. these lyrics are literally what the guy is saying, who's Mm -hmm. singing it. Mm -hmm. And some some people of a certain generation listen to rap lyrics and they're saying, oh, he's saying, he's saying he killed people and he's saying you should kill people, like right. literally, you know, that has that gone away, that literalism? To a degree. I, I, Rick Ross would
3: definitely have you insist. I mean, but to be fair, Rick Ross, I would say Rick Ross, you know, uh, it was kind of no one take no one took at once, especially once you get exposed. You should break
4: it down for listeners who aren't aware of the full yeah. quick, the, the Rick Ross, yeah, the Rick Ross. It. You no, know, it's a persona construction. Yeah, it is. Completely, I, it is, and it, I think that's based ev- on Biggie. Every, every every artist does that. Every artist always bought. constructs a persona mm-hmm. to create. Um, but to answer so there was quick, a famous t- drug
3: dealer actually right. named named Freeway Ricky Ross, who, whose name he adopted, right. and he basically you know portrayed himself as like this like you know obese crustacean loving overlord of miami (laughs) you know who just like was the biggest boss that we'd seen thus far and then you know smoking gun exposes him And, but, so, like, everyone doesn't take him seriously, but I would then say, yeah, no one takes Rick Ross at face value, but, like, recently, you know, there's a big hit song called UBNO, and Rick Ross kind of has a lyric that implies that he gave a girl Molly, and she didn't know it, and then he took advantage of her, and she didn't know it, and the funny thing about it is, like, Molly doesn't do that, but it's, I mean, it's obviously a very inappropriate lyric, but, you know, it, it did it did show that, you know, people still do take rappers at face value. But I mean, yeah, again, it's,
4: you know, the, the word, the words of young black men are held to the highest, you know, standard and worst possible interpretations by, Mm. by large swaths of American culture, white culture.
2: Right. I mean, you mentioned Kurt Cobain, right? I feel like people who listen to him, or who, when, especially when he was alive, said, "Oh, he's speaking directly and truthfully." Yeah. Like I should, I don't know whether that was even Kurt Cobain's intention. Maybe he was constructing a persona in the same way as any rapper, but we take them differently. Uh, I don't know if. How-
3: well, to be fair, uh, rappers take a stage name, yeah. and there's something to be said about putting that barrier between yourself and, like, you know, once someone right. versus, you know, I would say someone like Kanye West, who has no real stage name. You know, his name is is Kanye West. Even Kendrick Lamar, who is probably the most popular rapper, his name is Kendrick Lamar Duckworth. Right. Kendrick
2: Lamar is a name. Mm-hmm. And Your book isn't called Tupac Shakur versus Chris right. Wallace. Right.
3: Exactly. <laughs> it's Tupac, yeah, exactly.
4: <laughs> then people might think it was about Tupac versus the Fox News correspondent, <laughs> and that horrifying. You know,
3: and also, like, it it, in it its it own way. Seen, even the spelling of Tupac, his real name is not, you know, obviously the number. Yeah. And, but, I feel there is that thing, once you take on that stage name, it, it's implied, whereas Kirk Cobain, you're like, I'm Kirk Cobain, whereas, like, Johnny Rotten, like, I think everyone knows, kind of like, okay, there's... <laughs> yeah
4: it's a great compare. I think that's, that's right there. That's part of this, how ways to talk about them and ways to, ways to think about them. I mean, punk yeah. is punk, you know, is, it's is, 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 does hip hop, is, like is, hip, is hop does overlap with America as sort of the American punk? Sure. It does, but it's not a perfect overlap. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, yeah. You, Jeff wrote about being at the, for, for a kind of a shift of subject, wrote about being at Coachella last year when Tupac appeared, not as exactly a hologram, but something like a hologram and performed, uh, you said it was weird. wasn't <laughs> <laughs> <Less> normal. <laughs> <laughs>
0: flesh, of my flesh. Come with me. Hell, Barrett, run quick, ski. What do we have here now? i to or die. La, 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 la. I ain't a killer, but don't push me. Revenge is like the sweetest joy that's the getting pussy. Pitch paragraphs unloaded. Wise words being quoted. Beat the weakness in the rap game and sold it. Bow down, pray to God, hoping that it's this. See a nigga's coming for me, my diamonds mm-hmm. when they glisten, they'll pay attention. Best man, please, father, I'm a ghost. ghost. It's killing feels hell, Mary, catch 'em if I go. go deep inside the solitary mind of a madman. Screams in the dark, evil lurks, enemies. See me bleed, activate my hate, let it break till i flame, it Set trip, empty out my clip, never stop to aim. Some say the game is all corrupted, fucked in the shit, stuck. Niggas are stuck in if we bust out this shit.
3: Okay, first of all, it's, like, in this, like, weird, like, you almost feel like you're in Disneyland's Haunted Mansion, you know, it's, like, this, like, weird animatronic, you know, it's, like, you have, like, animatronic Dre and, you know, and then, like, they bring out, like, Wiz Khalifa and, like, Kendrick Lamar, and then you're, like, and then there's Tupac, and then he's, like, what's up, Coachella, and and then, like, you're, for me, it just... It was. I, it's it's weird to see also all these people rapping along the Hail Mary. You have fifty thousand yeah. white kids rapping along the, to Hail Mary. It's a weird phenomenon in its own right. right. People that most of them weren't alive. And see, I think there's a difference. I think if you were alive when Tupac was great, you would see a hologram, You'd be like, oh god, just 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 give it. Our, I mean, I never saw Tupac live. I was too young for that. But still, I don't. I have no interest in that. And but then you have to take someone like I don't know. You have no prior associations with during your lifetime, so it's like, huh. like if you're like, oh yeah, you want to see a Hendrix hologram? I'm like, I don't not <laughs> want to see a Jimmy
4: <laughs> Hendrix hologram. It was surreal, though. It was you know, as someone who watched it from a distance, it was mm. ab- it was
2: absolutely, and surreal. you could live stream it. Right, yeah, right. <laughs> I've seen I've seen the YouTube video a number of times, just not because it's an admirable act in any in most ways, but it's an admirable act of showmanship, certainly, and yeah. it's the the fact of seeing.
3: You look at like a character from Mortal Kombat. I'm sorry, he, to you. he did,
2: but it's. I mean, the aside from the technical stuff, seeing the seeing the fake Tupac next to the actual forty-something-year-old yeah. Snoop Dogg. I mean, what what do you think when you see that they're they're you know, I guess performing together, quote unquote, but just seeing them side by side. What what does that what does that raise in you? Um, you know. I think that's
3: it's it kind of sad, actually, mm. honestly. I think the the thing about this, and then you can't forget, is it's a tragedy. You know, this is a real tragedy. Snoop is lucky. Snoop got to live, and I'm, I'm, I'm happy he what, did. Why is he alive? Is it a surprise he's alive? Yeah, I think so. I think there was one point where Suge Knight was definitely trying to, you know, I, I wouldn't, I, you know, he went to, I, I think he went to New Orleans for a while. When he was doing New Orleans, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that had something to do with the fact that L.A. was a little hot for him. Because mm. you couldn't just, you know, you can't just leave Suge Knight like that, you know, yeah. especially at that time. And
2: for those who don't know much about Suge Knight, why, why, when we talk about rappers killing each other, do we always talk about Suge Knight? Oh, God.
3: <laughs> not allowed
2: to say this on air.
3: <laughs> no, off on the, the record. record. <laughs> I'm going, I'm going off record on this. No, I think... I know, I, I, you know,
4: I, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm literally not sure I want to talk about Suge Knight. I why, mean, why,
2: is, why is it so dangerous to talk about it? Because his name comes up so much when people say... when people say, He has so many connections to dead rappers.
3: Well, he also, I mean, they, 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 if you if you read the Randall Sullivan book was actually really illuminating. I I, I don't know how much of it is true. I assume it, it was mostly true because mm. he, he was a seemingly incredible reporter and hasn't been discredited. But a lot of the Rampart scandal stemmed from, you know, the crooked cops that were working for yeah. for Death Row. I mean, there was a real, a real like, I mean, it really is like an L.A. Confidential mm. Mulholland, you know, not Mulholland Drive, but uh, Chinatown, <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> not Mulholland, maybe a little Mulholland Drive. Little yeah, I'm sure there were a couple really? scenes where Tupac's in Calabasas that, right. you know.
4: I, you know, I go by my old rule. If you need a private security force, you're doing something really horribly wrong. No, like if I you see. need a private security force every day, that's not good for your mm-hmm. performance in life at the
2: moment. Is it? Does it still make sense to talk about East Coast West Coast rivalries in rap, or is that day over? I think that is over. I think it's over
3: too. Mm. Yeah. Is
2: that purely the '90s that just flared up? And- it was purely these two, kind of. I mean, no, it mm-hmm. wasn't because it was you had Tim Dog
3: versus you know you had Dr. Dre, but. With with some people, but it was they really exacerbated it. They turned it into a whole thing. Mm -hmm. MTV
4: and the internet. You know, this is something that Tupac and Biggie. I mean, they their careers and their art production crested with MTV's presence in homes, which is you can never overstate that when you're talking about contemporary music because it either played or didn't play a role. Um, And I just think they. I think the internet has flattened, flattened I use that word specifically in in the
3: 90s, definitely, you know, Vibe Magazine played like a role in kind of heightening the tension between Mm. the two sides, you know, doing all these, Mm. you know, the source also probably played a big role in kind of fostering, you know, because the source famously would not give West Coast records the same
1: Mm.
0: due that
3: East Coast records would get. So you have this. And I think hip hop's always been, I mean, I think honestly, most kind of, you know, literature, there's always going to be like a war between like multiple sides.
4: I feel like it's parochial now. I mean, like yeah. it, like hip hop is parochial. Mm-hmm. Like I think that's interesting. You know, now people who are into hip hop, they know that UGK is from Port Arthur, Texas. They know they're not just from Texas and they're from they're from Port Arthur, Texas. Mm-hmm. If you like Little Boozy, you know he's from Baton Rouge. He's not from New Orleans mm-hmm. or generalized. You know, the generalized South. And I think Tupac and Biggie did something incredible for a national audience because they you we were able the listener was able to compare and see how they were different. And I yeah. think that that conflict the conflict between east and west coast rap um the aftermath is now we're parochial we're interested in different yeah. communities and that,
3: that maybe be for the good and it was more complicated than just simple division you know like mm-hmm. tupac you know had got my mind made up on his on all as and me where he's got method man he's got red man there were rappers from the east coast you know that they he had an affinity with and there were you know just conversely biggie did a song like going back to california right. it was you know where he's like uh, you know Specifically, saying he did not want every, everyone to kind of misconstrue it, it as like this kind of coastal kind of war, and you know, I, I think like I think a big problem when it comes to you know cultural criticism. Is that everyone wants to reduce it to these really easy binaries. Mm, yeah. And the truth is like, I mean, don't get me wrong, sometimes like binaries do exist, but mm. most of the time it is a lot more complicated. And when you're dealing with two complex personalities, and I guess that's the point. Like this book is like like a simple, here's a duality, Biggie versus Tupac. Right. You know what I mean? But we tried to be like, okay. Right. N- no. Like right. it's more than that.
4: Yeah, I think we're working in the aftermath and we've I mean we've got more time since their deaths yeah. to think about what actually happens. And this is, you know, when we were lucky to read great firsthand reporting and yep. other more, you know, frankly, really strict biographical books. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, we're operating on, in, in the shadow and on the shoulders of really, really essential first level journalism. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. It, it needs to be said like this, you know, this is, I, I would not say that this is like the definitive book. Like there's a lot of other, but I would say that maybe I would hope at least, I wouldn't say, cause it's not my place to say, but I would hope that at least it may be breaks them down maybe a little more thoroughly without kind of the dogma and superstitions that have kind of accrued over the last 15 years since Mm. they've been dead you know there's just rap rap in general but like also you know there's there's these inherited ideas that people just accept at face value and you know i wanted you know and i I think evan did too we wanted to kind of not hold anything sacred Mm. and just try to you know
2: I mean we don't I've read your book of course I've read other things about Biggie and Tupac but why did they hate each other so much like what what why, why don't we why don't we really seem to know I mean we know a lot about why they might have hated each other but it's it seems like it's there's no straight answer ultimately to like especially not to who killed who but why did why the animosity you-
3: well, basically they were, you know, as I said at the beginning, you know, they were best for, you know, they, they really liked each other. I think Tupac saw something in Biggie that reminded him probably of himself and that he, maybe that he couldn't do, you know, cause there were things that Tupac couldn't, that Biggie could do that Tupac couldn't and vice versa. And so basically they, you know, they did become friends and during, during Tupac's second album, which I don't like saying cause it makes me feel awkward cause, you know, <laughs> you can Google it, but, uh, Tupac was in New York. He was also in New York uh, when he was filming Above the Rim, which I think is kind of where and Biggie kind of th- through a mutual contact, Biggie, you know, hooked him up. They, they hooked up. He hooked up with some kind of rather unsavory figures, which ended up leading to his sexual assault trial, which, uh, you know, obviously was a huge, you know, shadow hangover. I mean, he was going to jail. He was recording Me Against the World. It was this kind of tumultuous time, and, and he was in New York. And then, and then, and then he was assaulted. And then he was assaulted and, was and, and, assaulted and shot, was shot. And Biggie was. York. And Biggie was at the studio. Uh, where he was shot and it was you know it was for what little Sean it was like uh, like an obscure rapper that he, no
4: yeah, it was the middle of the night he needed the money because he had this
3: trial yeah. and it was like late at night and you know they were all Biggie was with Andre Horrell and Puff Daddy
4: I want to get this but you know you know famously Biggie was walked out of the hospital or went, had to go to multiple hospitals uh-huh. you know, He was in Bellevue in New York he gets he gets out of the hospital after being shot to go to his, his the trial Where's his Tupac criminal did, his yeah. Tupac, Tupac to go to his criminal trial um you know
3: that is that was
4: that was an incredible trauma yeah
3: well and i guess the crux of it is that he th- said look he didn't think biggie was responsible for it he may or may not have it was never really clear but he assumed and like there's probably a fair thing to say that you know it was a small studio you know it was not a small studio but it was you mm-hmm. he would have known that there were these people waiting to assault him i mean he's there with like puff daddy all these mm-hmm. people you know he it was he felt like it was a setup mm-hmm. but then also um you know, it goes without saying that, like, it would have been fine, but then Biggie records a song called Who Shot Ya? Yeah. right afterwards, which, I mean... I don't know. <laughs> and and, and yeah, as, don't as, know. as
2: as I, you know... At best, I, bad judgment. Y- y- tasteless. And, and, and I,
4: as I... I I wrote about that song in our new book, Tupac vs. Biggie: An Illustrated History of Rap In stores, in stores now. Tell me more. Um, <laughs> I get, so this song, you know, if you, un, you know, when you, when you when you listen to it and you unpack it in your ears, and then if you choose to read the la- lyrics, you know, there are all these subliminal, and that's the, you know these subliminal yeah. coded <laughs> taunts. And if yeah. you read their lives, th- that's there. And it's just part of it is a mystery. Part of it is I think there were just truly unnamed bad elements around them involved with drugs, violence, and money. Um, yeah.
3: And I mean, they, I mean, we said they came from middle class. They, so they, it, it was definitely not. Is and, it? Yeah. It was, they,
4: their, their lives got more dangerous as they went on, which was yeah. so compelling to me mm-hmm. because we have this American narrative of you rise from poverty and danger into safety. And they both were, were surrounded by elements at the same time. They're operating incredibly high social class, getting paid millions of dollars. And at the same time they're surrounded by elements who were criminals. And this happens in American entertainment, but yeah. this, well,
3: it, you know, the notion of street credibility and authenticity in hip hop has always been kind of an interesting idea. Cause I think like you can, they, they felt like, especially with somebody like Tupac, you know, he felt like, you know, to be an, a credible voice of the streets, mm-hmm. you know, that he had to sort of live that life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, especially after he played Bishop and Juice, you know, there's an interesting uh, exchange where biggie was i think telling a reporter that towards the end of tupac's life he didn't see tupac anymore that wasn't the tupac he knew he saw bishop from
1: jews. the jews I can hear sweat trickling down your cheek. Your heartbeats sound like like Sasquatch feet. Thundering, shaking the concrete. Then the shit stop when I fall the plot. Neighbors call the cops and they heard mad shots. Oh, saw me in the drop, three and a quarter. Slaughter, electrical tape around the door. Old school, new school, need to learn, though. I burn, baby, burn like disco inferno. Burn slow like blunts with yayo. Feel more skins than Idaho potato. Niggas know the lyrical molesting is taking place. Fucking with BIG, it ain't safe. Okay. I make your skin tape. Rashes on the masses. Bumps and bruises. Blunts and leg bruises. Big Papa smash fools, uh, bad uh, fools. Niggas mad because I know the cash rules. Everything around me, two Glock gods. Any motherfucker whispering about mine. And i uh, and uh, uh, Brooklyn's Brooklyn's finest. finest. You bad boys, behind, uh, boys uh, behind
3: To go along with that, you know, you're going to acquire a different set of friends. You can't exactly, like, be hang out with Jada Pinkett all day long. <laughs> Even though he, you know, he still did. Like, he he was hang out with Madonna. Nice.
4: It, 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 it's always, you know... um Oh God, why did they hit each other? You know, there was something. And, you know, I think, I think it is just... Part of it is just a mystery.
3: Part of it is jealousy. Part of it is jealousy. Because both could do the other thing that the other one couldn't. Right. And, like, there's always, like, that sort of thing where it's, like, you can either... Like I said, like, you can either be like, oh, well, that's great because we're not competing in the same exact lane. But right. then there's a certain thing where, especially when you're being compared as two of the greatest ever you want to be the greatest ever you know
4: you made a reference to drake earlier in the podcast jeff and i was mm-hmm. thinking about this and we we've talked about social class and different kinds of identity narratives and different kinds of placement and and uh, and cho- choices of representing the self uh, through the music and i think that both tupac and biggie had this relationship with with really bad criminal elements that and we know that soul crack cocaine that Got it got into the music first and the music itself. I mean, you know, I'm not going to lie. Both of their, some of those criminal transgressive lyrics are the ones I sing to myself and <laughs> stick in my head and and stay in my ear. Um, and anyone would be a fool or a milk toast or a liar to admit that that isn't some of the most thrilling and yeah, pleasurable part of their content. Um, and that's another thing you have to think about when you're listening to them. Um it does it involve the american outlaw yeah kind of does and it involve it they
3: died because they both made people feel invincible right does
4: it, mm-hmm. does it does it involve with the reagan era yeah absolutely mm-hmm. um it's all involved with this this cultivation of self and i um yeah i i think I think it's just fascinating. Um, Sorry, you know, I get lost sometimes uh, (laughs) just thinking about it because it's just um, I want to quote more lyrics, but they just they they pass through my head. This is the freestyle portion (laughs) of the interview. (laughs) We're really gonna have to edit edit the hell out of this. Um, It's so um, you know, I just I just think that there's just so much to
2: talk about. I'm stupid. Sorry, I'm
4: gonna stop talking for a second. I realize I'm repeating myself.
2: What does uh, I mean? What do Biggie and Tupac's albums sound like now, playing them in the context of when you're listening to... Modern rap as well, up yeah. against everything else that's out today. How do they sound different than you, they once you, did?
3: You know, what, you know what's funny is like I actually we had this. Uh, I'm doing a column for my website, Passion mm-hmm. of the West, and it's it's we're getting uh, all these different writers to talk about an album or an artist that they never heard before. And I remember you did it for a website we used to write for, Styles. Uh, well, Stylus, Stylus. Stylus yeah. Magazine, RIP. So, mm-hmm. so it, was great, it was a great magazine. He one of these kids. He's he's got to be 23 years old, and he he never heard Tupac. Mm. And uh, Tupac is kind of one of these yeah. interesting figures because a lot of people have heard you know the Tupac Greatest Hits, but they mm. haven't heard the the actual, you know, deep cuts or the rarities, wow. or because I mean it's sprawling; it's really hard to get a handle on. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I don't understand what is up with these like these big singers in every chorus. And he's like, is that like a '90s thing? And like he was totally <laughs> like. And you, I went back and listened, to it and you're like, yeah, Tupac has a lot of really big, but he also, you know, it they, runs the gamut. You know, a song like but a song like Dear Mama, you know, you have this big. Mm -hmm. overblown kind of chorus and it kind of gets in. I mean, and you can still say like early Kanye West kind of still had that thing, you know, but it it seemed to go out of kind of vogue. Now I feel, you know, Tupac's catalog, it's sort of... We were talking about this earlier. It's different on he he really reinvented himself on every album. So and that's again goes back to the Rorschach blot idea, where it's like you he you can reinvent yourself with every Tupac album. You know, you have this first album where it's two it's called Tupac's Now, and that was kind of where he had the it's a very like Black Panther inspired, very politically radical album. Second album, you know. Recorded in New York, it's like a New York street rap album from the 1993 mm-hmm. third album. Me Against the World's recorded while he's waiting to go into jail, and it's personal. It was the first number one album ever to come out when an artist was in jail, and it's just, it's probably his most complete work because it's you know the sexual assault trials hanging over his head. He feels you know kind of be- uh, betrayed. It, the, everything is kind of going into it. What it says one of the most emotionally charged albums in, in
4: American pop music of the past 30 years. Yeah, oh, it's it it's just,
3: incredible to think that this is pop music. Yeah, quite so, honestly, like so. it's weird to think and. You know, and then you have "All Eyes on Me," which is one of the greatest gangster rap records ever. I mean, that is just a hard record. It's just like you know, I remember growing up here and like Persians in BMWs would just roll pump like all day long. Like you would never not hear it out of a Persian it, it, in a BMW. Not to make any generalizations, but I, I just I did go to school. <laughs> so it just happened.
4: Yeah, I think that's interesting that that Tupac ability to shift. Um, and really vehemently take on different identities and really emotional identities. Maybe that contributes to his resonance because, you know, as you go through different life stages and different parts of life, you have a new emotional states and new ways of looking at the world. And Tupac just went through so many different ways of looking at the world.
3: Mm, That's appealing
4: universally and and translates very well.
3: You know, there's a commercial reality at play. You know, I always think of Tupac actually, you know, I used Bob Dylan earlier, but I think of him more as kind of like a... A Jim Morrison kind of-ish figure where it's like, you know, you have the shirtlessness, like the kind (laughs) of re- the uh, the desire for reinvention, the, you know flawing convention you know the the struggles with the law with substance abuse uh, you know and you know the door totally the dorm room poster archetype mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I think of them and also Jim Morrison inspires like a lot of hate so it's like see I can I mean I I, I wasn't alive when the doors you know w- were a functioning unit but I got into the, I, I got into the doors right around the time I got into Tupac and there's mm-hmm. probably somebody said about that when you're a young kid it's just sort of you you gravitate towards these like rebel figures I think mm-hmm. if you have a rebellious personality if you think that this is kind of bullshit like these teachers are kind of like you're like ah these teachers I don't want to wake up at 8am down with homework yeah down with homework (laughs) you know like I can't deal with this I think my coaches are dumb or whatever (laughs) your teachers are dumb and you gravitate towards that and then you you know you, 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 these figures kind of, I think for a lot of people, probably Tupac is, you know, I always say like, he's like LA's patron saint at this yeah, point. Interesting. I, I mean, I, this is a question.
4: I'm, I have a question. Um, mm. do you think that Tupac has more songs in number that are sort of in the, in the general pop culture consciousness? Songs in number, not the quality, but the, 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 the number of good songs is more than songs. Your mom was
3: in the library of Congress. You know It's right. a fair point It's a fair point Yeah
4: But you know Because you talked about You know Being in different cultural settings Beyond let's say The white middle class And cultural settings lot yeah. And different places on earth And hearing it Yeah Um And I wonder about that. I had sort of jotted a note down here and I was thinking about it that to me, another useful contrast since we're talking about getting into them and listening to them is that Tupac has the better greatest, Tupac has the greatest better hits album. I mean, if you look at all, if you took the best hits of Tupac's career and put them on a greatest, a really good, well thought out greatest hits album, it's one of the best greatest hits albums ever. To me, as a Biggie fan, Biggie might have the better kind of like if you're going to talk like we were cuts. in the 60s or 70s, album cuts, mm-hmm. deep okay. album cuts, yeah, ones that are not pop, not pop songs, no, you, not pop you singles, have to listen like
3: 30 times because right. you're like just trying to figure them out. They become mm-hmm.
4: indispensable, and they're your, you personalize them. They're your go-to deep album cut. And for listeners who are new to rap, and especially want to use this book as a way to get into Tupac and Biggie, I think that that might be a helpful way of thinking
2: about it for general music listeners. Hmm. And does do the bodies of work of, of Tupac and Biggie today? do they have much to say about rap now as a music? Or is it just, are we listening to Tupac and Biggie specifically? They are their own self-contained sphere, and that's what you're in when you're listening to them in 2013. I think it's
3: inextricable, because I think Mm. a lot of the artists still, and maybe a little less so, but even like, you know, I I mentioned Kendrick Lamar earlier, Mm. his favorite rapper is Tupac. You know, the guy's 25 years old. You know, you have... a little Boosie's probably the most popular. Little Wayne. I mean, he, what did he say a few weeks ago? He said, "I'm the new Pac." Mm-hmm. Or, you know, it's always and I mean, and but yet Little Wayne's technique
4: is totally influenced by Biggie. Mm-hmm. Sort of. I I think about it like it's a pole, and the way you're a contemporary rapper is like you have to navigate the space between Biggie and Tupac, and there are, there are a, a handful of other truly influential yeah. MCs, rappers, Scarface, Big Daddy Kane, um, who were before Tupac and Biggie's time. Um, and,
3: but yet today, every contemporary rapper may have those influences, UGK, pu- Public Enemy. I mean, Eminem is, and it, yeah. it's, it's through but, them. It's like Eminem is, might not, be, you know, he's influenced a lot of people and who was dying to produce a posthumous but, Tupac album. But Eminem
4: himself has really deep Biggie elements and really deep Tupac elements. It's, yeah. it's, I, I mean, I, I'll, I'll like, make the they argument. They
3: study Biggie. They trumpet, you know, Tupac.
4: Every, 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 every contemporary rapper, um, who's really working with something, mm. I think to my ears at least, is really navigating the space between Tupac and Biggie because mm. together... At least together they did so much. Mm. Um, technique, content, form, p- performance, presentation mm. that, you know, I, we were talking in the car, we're like, okay, well, who do we like? Well, we both like Currency. We both like Freddie Gibbs. We both like ASAP Rocky, Schoolboy Q, and we're looking at how these... We talk about, oh, that sounds so much like Biggie the way he used that detail. or like, God, this chorus just it sounds like tupac and we say that a lot
3: I, I also think it you know it should just you know be out there and, and just said like you can't disregard the impact that like you know i'm, I'm saying this you know we talked earlier about the race issue you know i'm saying this is like a white person you can't ignore or diminish the impact that tupac had as like a voice for like you know not just black people but maybe like all people that you know are living under what they sense to be oppression or you know whether it is or not mm-hmm. you know and he really like it's a sense of struggle and that's something that continually echoes over and over again. And like, he really was speaking for uh, dispossessed, you know, and in the nineties, you know, it, you know, obviously, it, you know, it was a mixed bag. It wasn't like, you know, the, the Clinton, Clinton boom was like this, you know, everyone got rich. You know, there was a lot of people like living in poverty and Tupac is really speaking for them. And, Especially, and that's why I think like he has emerged as this kind of malleable figure where you can be interpreted. You know, if you want, you can pick Tupac songs as, pu- as political as "Public Enemy" songs, mm-hmm. and but you can also pick you know songs as, as, as gangster, you know, or as misogynistic or whatever as a Two Live Crew song or as gangster <laughs> as you know N.W.A. I'll, I'll just I'll just pitch this that I think Biggie, if we're talking about truly their,
4: their most transcendent qualities, I think Biggie is one of the best American artists on money. And, and rising and social class and detail. Like, and I'm serious, you know, whether it's James Baldwin or Henry James or any other artist who works with words, I think Biggie is saying incredible things about work, money, power, and class in America. And I just, it's, it's, it's indispensable in my life to think about those big American themes. Mm.
3: Well, he was a master, I think, of like the aphorism, Biggie. You know what Mm. I mean? Like, just these little, like, just, like, in in four words, he could just convey so much information, you know, it's just mm-hmm. a, conde- a condense. And, and that's just New York, kind of, in a way, right? You know, it's like, you don't have that much room to spread out, you know? you That's like, like, quit the bullshit, asshole. Whereas, like, Tupac's, like, kind of rambling with, you know, Stone, like, kind of California, I- like... I like that. I like that idea of the rambling California you talked about earlier. I, I mean, that, obviously, I empathize. I think it's
4: really fitting. I think it's really fitting. I, I just, I wonder if we now are embodying our different like cultural milieus. Like suddenly, if I realize I'm talking really fast, the like East Coast Irish is coming out of me. If you're,
3: if you're listening to this podcast, I'm not wearing a shirt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have several tattoos across my back. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's
4: it's it's interesting. I um, their whole their whole manners of presentation, you know, are are totally informed by where they grew up. And since this is the LA room review of books i think that's a really interesting thing to think about they're so they're so tied into their experiences and their portrayals of their respective cities
1: Mm.
2: but overall if you listen to just one of them you're not getting a complete rap experience are you If you really, if your allegiance is really true to just one,
3: yeah, I would argue that. And the thing I think that a lot of people think about rap, and you know, I'm I'm saying because I I hope that a lot of people that are kind of more literary types, you know, maybe who you know think like I don't know an Animal Collective or a Mountain Goats or you know whatever, you know whatever indie songwriter, you know, you, you you choose to be the most influential or whatever. I feel like rap is a lot more than. Uh, It's going to sound like such an underground bromide, but like it's a lot more than what you maybe hear on the radio. And like both these artists were heard on the radio, but there were a lot of like underground artists that influenced them. And there's a lot of amazing writing that kind of goes on, Um, you know, whether it's just a a great simile, Mm. a color, you know, an amazing image, like a metaphor that you wouldn't think. And both these guys were probably were were, were masters of of it for sure. Mm. But there is such a rich like array of people that, you know go so far beyond this and like you can't necessarily like they maybe stood on the top you know what I mean like they stood on the top but there were a lot of people that they were kind of building it, off of
4: their, wor- their words their vocabularies are part of the American lexicon at this really? point no one no one can do anything about it they are part of the American I mean, le- mo- they're, part of problems, the, they're part right? of the American lexicon and if that's not success as an artist I don't know what is
2: mm. I've been speaking with Jeff Weiss and Evan McGarvey, authors, co-authors of Tupac vs. Biggie, an illustrated history of rap's greatest battle. Gentlemen, thanks so much. Thank cool. This has been the Los Angeles Review of Books Podcast. I've been Colin Marshall. You can find much more at
0: LARVOfBooks.org. LA, <laughs> California Love, without getting